Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 60th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this Beaver Moon episode, we'll be speaking with Dr. Jodie Carrington, best-selling author of Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. We'll also be reviewing the book, Live, Laugh, Find True Love, a step-by-step guide to finding a meaningful relationship by future guest, Sarah Intelligator, who is a divorce attorney. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation for feeling seen and heard. But first, let me share with you my experience with feeling seen and heard. It's so important to feel seen, to feel seen and heard. As a content creator, sometimes I don't feel seen or heard, even though you're listening to me uh, making this episode right now. But you have to imagine that I am sitting in my empty lounge. I'm still wearing my pajamas and got no makeup on. Haven't had a shower yet. I'm alone speaking to the wall. And sometimes I'm not aware that my content is actually being seen and noticed. But then when I get some comments or feedback, I'm like, wow. (laughs) But it's like, all at the same time, I think it's good to make content thinking in the way that um, you would make it if no one was listening. You know, it's similar to the, that expression, dance like no one's watching. So I try to make content like no one's listening or no one's reading to try and really tap into what is my authentic self, my authentic expression. Because I do ask myself why a lot, you know, when you're making certain types of content what's the why behind it are you doing it for likes are you doing it for validation or are you doing it as an expression an authentic expression are you doing it to inspire others so I try to be I want to be as authentic as possible and not really think about the validation or likes but just um, obviously be happy about uh, any positive impact it's going to have on someone but ultimately it's about having an authentic expression which will hopefully inspire others as well I think feeling seen is a is a concept that is so key in many parts of our lives, especially in our work. Um, I know for me, when I when I see that there is an increase of views or downloads or something like that, I definitely it definitely feels uh, it's not just flattering to my ego. I can't deny that that part is real, but it's also um, an affirmation, a confirmation that I'm on the right path, and I'm I'm very very grateful for those signs because it's like saying you're doing the right thing. Because sometimes. When you're a freelancer, it's just very confusing. You have to kind of, um, you know, it's a constant struggle. And um, and sometimes having that guidance affirmation is very, very, very encouraging just to keep going. And feeling seen, I, I felt most of my life, I've actually felt invisible. 
So I think it's very important for me. I think feeling seen is a big part of what has seduced me in different situations. Feeling seen, acknowledged for who I really am. Because I think a lot, a lot of the times in my life, in the, in the past when I was younger, I, I kind of didn't feel um, conventional. I felt like a misfit. And at first when I was in my teenage years, that was troublesome for me because I wanted to fit in. Whereas now with time, age, wisdom and experience, I acknowledge that standing out is probably a better quality to have, you know, to be, to have certain traits that make you unforgettable and very, very much seen. Um, and just by being who you really are. And I think by being who you really are, then you will inspire others. I mean, for me, when I was in my 20s, I just wanted to have a normal job, be in a company that would um, acknowledge me and um, reward me for my hard work and enthusiasm. But the universe had different ideas for me. And yeah, I was in real estate. I, I remember I was working late a lot, you know, writing property descriptions. And I was quite good at, at my job because I was very honest with my with my clients and people used to ring up and say, I want to see this the, these apartments. And they would tell me a list of 10 um, different references. And I would say, what are you looking for? And then we, I would just um, really kind of uh, make a short list and say, well, this one's got terrible lighting. This one's got a bad stairwell, you know, just based on what they wanted. And people really respected me for that because of my authenticity. Cause that's not something that is known for in the real estate profession, unfortunately. So once I kind of gained people's trust, then that kind of helped me to be um, to to be responsible for 80% of the operations in our office, even though that was not enough because it was the crisis at the time. But I just wanted to, you know, be good at that, get my money and um, have a nice time walking around apartments. But now when I think about what I'm doing now, it's way more fulfilling because I know the topic of sexuality, intimacy and relationships are the topics that really move us. And those are the topics that are so taboo for so many, so uncomfortable. And these are the topics that influence a lot of our life decisions. And, and yet we don't talk about them. And that's very, that's a huge mistake. So I'm trying to change that with my, with my participation in, in content creation and um, creating space for the conversations that I have on, on this podcast. And also feeling seen in in terms of relationships. I think for me, feeling seen has always been a huge element of seduction. When someone sees who I really am and appreciates it, that goes for friendships as well as intimate relationships. And it's so important to maintain this um, feeling of being seen, um, not just to feel seen yourself, but to see others and really, you know, get to know someone on a deeper level and know what, what, what's making them tick and how they're feeling today, what their challenges are and how to encourage them. Because I think once you stop seeing your partner or the, your, your partner stops seeing you, then you're in a very vulnerable position to stray. And that's the kind of reality of life. I think sometimes when you're getting to, you know, let's say a mundane, monotonous phase of your relationship and then suddenly someone you like or someone starts paying attention to you laughing at your jokes and um, seeing you in a way that you've not been seen since the beginning of your relationship then that can be that can potentially lead to an infidelity so that made that made me kind of read this book a little bit closer and just think wow we have to really appreciate those who are important to us and um and maintain that energy of feeling seen and seeing others as well because it's a definitely a two-way street 
And um, the, our guest today, Dr. Jodie Carrington, is the author of um, the best-selling book, Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. And I read it last week when I went to Rome. Rome was so cool. I had the best time ever. Um, I got the flight from Barcelona for 60 euros return. And I thought, you know, I've been wanting to make the most of my situation a little bit more, my situation of being self-employed, which also has great advantages apart from the daily struggle. And uh, the flexibility is incredible. It's not so, it's not something that I have made the most of enough. I really want to be able to pop to Barcelona Airport and go to different destinations because in Europe we have this incredible advantage that we are close to different civilizations. We are so close to places that have different foods, different um, cultures, different languages, and it's rel relatively cheap to um, to fly there. And I read this book, so I, I, I was kind of like, um, I'm kind of like trying to, you know, step into my ideal life by just making it happen now rather than thinking about it as a something a, a far away in the future. And that's something I wanted to do for a long time. And I was reading this book on the plane and just the concept of a feeling seen was just is becoming kind of a theme in my life at the moment. And it impacted me in the way that, for example, I was walking through Rome and lots of people were trying to, you know, spot, they spotted me as a tourist, a target for selling me things that I don't need. And, um, you know, in the past, I would have just like gone, no, no, I just, just ignored people and carried on walking. But in this, this time, I actually looked people in the eye and, and smiled and said, no, thanks, you know, because I think um, we have this sensation sometimes, oh, leave me alone, I'm just walking here. But... At the end of the day, everyone's just trying to make a living and doing what they can. And I think it's um, nice to acknowledge all the people who are across our paths in the day. I mean, I've, I try to be very polite to the people who serve me in restaurants, just, um, everyone I, you know, the people who deliver my Amazon books, anyone. And I think that's um, the kind of experience I want to have in life. I want people to have good experiences with me and with my energy um, not just people who are intimate with me, of course, but also people who, anyone who crosses my path, I want them to have a good experience with me and I want them to feel seen and um, and spread my smiles because it's so important. And a smile is um, something that comes from the book, I, the last book I read about the Kunlun system. They were talking about how um, important smiling is and how it's really good for opening up your facial muscles, your crown and all of this. I think a smile is something that's incredible for helping others to feel seen and just... Um, being able to radiate good energy. But let's go back to love. Anyway, there's a there's a great definition of love here. There's a great um, page, page 69. What, an, what a coincidence. And there is a subtitle here called What's Love Got to Do With It? And this um, really um, struck a chord with me when I was reading it on the plane on the way to Roma. So let me read this to you. And I hope you appreciate it as much as I do, because I really recommend this book. And also we're going to be speaking to the author of it in a few minutes. So let's check this out. What's love got to do with it? Love is what is the one emotion so often discussed, but elusively defined. It's different for so many, but lauded by all, it seems. Love is the funnest emotion because it can be the defining feature of every relationship that exists with your pet, your best friend, a lover, your colleague, even for material things that you can so desperately love, like kids with a stuffy or a college kid with their car. I remember the familiarity and connection I felt for my first car, Mabel, a burgundy 88 Mustang sporting a slightly rusted out hatchback. 
that old girl, girl and I drove many miles and she held many tears. I loved that car. When it comes to our children and our intimate life partners, love is apparently the goal. And you can see what, you can see that when we consider this a worthy definition of love. We cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known, and when we honour the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness and affection. Well, son of a gun, of course, that love-drunk feeling is the desire. Who wouldn't want to be in a place where an emotion can unlock that soul, the best part of us? Even in that definition, I am reminded of the riskiness of the business that is love, because embedded in that huge desire for soul-bared freedom comes huge responsibility, the trust and respect part. Because, sweet mother, when you are gifted the entrance to the soul of another via the love emotion, you'd better not fuck it up. Yet so many of us do. All the time, more on that in a bit, let's just say that it's the mystical, mysterious one of all emotions. And so many creatives among us have attempted to capture it in music and poems and paintings. Expressing its essence seems slightly different for each of us, but it's undeniably understood when you see it, or maybe better yet, when you feel it. Dun, dun, dun. So there we have it. And so that's just a one page, page 69 of the book, Feeling Seen by today's guest, Dr. Jodie Carrington. And I think I'm going to leave it for there because now we're going to speak to her and get even more into this topic of feeling seen, which is so, so, so important. Are you looking for a new sex toy? If you are, go to satisfier.com and you can use the code VENUS to get 30% off anything on the satisfier.com website. So check it out, VENUS for 30% off, satisfier.com. Now it's time for this episode's interview. We'll be speaking with Dr. Jodie Carrington, author of Feeling Seen, Reconnecting in a Disconnected World. Dr. Jodie Carrington, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast, where every day is a climax. Thank you so much for taking part in this interview today. I'm very happy to have you here. For those who are unfamiliar with your work, could you tell us what you do? Yes, I'm a clinical psychologist by training. I'm up here in um, Canada, mm -hmm. and uh, I grew up in a little town uh, in this country and learning really early about relationships and connection and how critically important they are. And so I got a PhD in um, police psychology. Actually, I I, uh, I knew that I wanted to do something in this world of trauma and relationship and connection. I thought I wanted to be a police officer because I started to learn what it looks like when organizations don't look after their people. And I fell in love with people who do serving of the most dysregulated amongst us. And when I did my residency, uh, I had to do a rotation with kids. And I said, listen, I'm not a huge fan, uh, despite the fact that I have three of my own. Uh, I was not a huge fan of kids. And they said, you're kind of like one. We think you'd be a good fit. So I did a postdoc in child psychiatry and I um, 
I spent the first 10 years of my career in a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids. And I started to understand about relationship and developmental processes and the you know influence of trauma on the brain. And uh, then, of course, we had our babies and I started a, a private practice and was coaching hockey and um, started to consult on really tough cases, the hitters and the kickers and the biters. And I love those babies because we ask this question all the time. What is wrong with this one? What is wrong with this one? What do they have wrong with them? But we never, ever ask this question. What happened to them? That's so amazing. I wrote. That's incredible. Isn't insight. That good? Yeah. Yes. I wrote a few books. They became national bestsellers. And now I speak around the world and I end up on a podcast with you. Yeah. And I've just finished your book. You know, the best thing about being a podcaster is that I am such an avid reader. I read 30 books in 2020 in the pandemic. And now I get to read books and interview the authors. So it's a huge privilege for me. I have a whole um, shelf on my bookshelf, which is just the podcast uh, interviews. Because I know lots of people who interview, because I've been doing lots of press here in Spain where I live. Um, and not many people actually read the book when they interview, but I always read books. So because I'm just fascinated and just to kind of, I read this in Rome, actually. I went to Rome last week. So I was reading your book in beautiful surroundings. <laughs> Yeah, I love that my words were in Rome. That feels yeah, so in, fantastic. In the Vatican. I, I took the lessons to the Vatican. <laughs> in Pope, basically. <laughs> it's a holy, it's a holy work, holy work. But what really, you know, how it's really how it inspired me. Because I, I went to um, Rome on my own just for four days. Because I mean, I live in Barcelona, so it's kind of easy to pop here and there yeah. in Europe. And I fancied a change. And it really inspired me that the title "Feeling Seen," because I noticed when you're when you're in a tourist place, all these people come up to you just trying to sell you stuff, and it's really annoying. You just want to get on with your day, and you think I'm I'm a tourist, but I'm I'm vulnerable. But I don't want anyone to kind of approach me. But I I thought about these people who were just trying to make a day's living. You know, they're in unfortunate situations, and I looked them in the eye and said, "No, thanks." You know, so your feeling seen really Im, 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 impacted me in that way, and I'm I'm being more where when I go to a restaurant or people who serve me or just people I cross in the day just to kind of look smile and just be making everyone feel seen so I think that's a really beautiful lesson that I've taken away from it as, as well as many more oh. that we'll discuss oh mm. I love that and I and I think it's it, a couple of things that reminded me you know when you're speaking context is the prerequisite for empathy so mm. when you know somebody's story they're hard to hate and mm. we have never been this disconnected in the history of the free world your country and mine we have never not looked away so much. We've never not had so many exit ramps as opportunities mm -hmm. to look away. Because here's the thing in this human race, we are neurobiologically wired for connection. Whoever created this human race, whatever entity, whatever spiritual process, whatever you believe, there's two rules of it. Number one, we are neurobiologically wired for connection. If you disconnect from an infant, they die. Okay, so this, whoever created this said, I'm going to make two rules. One, you are neurobiologically wired for connection. You will do well if you stay connected to each other. Look, be in the same physical proximity. Number two, the hardest thing, I'm going to throw this in for fun, is I'm going to make it very difficult. The hardest thing you will ever do is look into the eyes of the people you love. Okay, so go. Now, one generation ago, mostly two generations ago, still way more in your country than mine, we had much more proximity to each other. The opportunities to look and see, if you think about, if I think about the square footage of the house that my grandfather was raised in and the square footage of the house in which I raised my babies, it is massively different. And we now have devices in one generation. We're the first generation of parents with social media to this degree. We have so many opportunities to look away, to just send a text message and an email versus the necessity, order our groceries online. 
instead of actually having to be in the same physical proximity with another human. And the one thing we will never automate is relationship. Mm, that's true. No AI for that. But I mean, people, people, people right. try to take, um, create these kind of avatar. Yeah, because <laughs> we want it. Yeah. We want it. Mm. But we just we just don't know how to navigate the emotion that is around it. Because mm. the hardest thing we will ever do is this relationship piece because it takes it the dynamic process of how you feel and I feel is there's no script for it. And we become, we can't give away something we've never received. If we've come from multiple generations, for example, of abuse or neglect trauma, you can't give away something you've never received. If nobody's never looked you in the eyes and said, baby boy, I am so sorry. Mm. That boy can never look anybody else in the eye and say, I'm sorry. It's not an excuse. It doesn't condone behavior, but context, understanding the story tends to be the prerequisite for empathy. Mm. And when we take to our organizational stress these days, empathy is the antidote to burnout. Yeah. And I I love the title of feeling seen. It just, I feel that it applies to so many of our human relationships that's present everywhere. What, what did, how did you find this title and what inspired you to write this book? Oh, I love it. So HarperCollins, our publisher, came to me and said, listen, uh, you know, we like the first two books. That's really great. Uh, talking about kids and relationships and emotional regulation. What does the world need right now? And I said, listen, if I were to distill it down to one thing, all anybody has ever wanted, but now more than ever, is to feel seen. And the definition of feeling seen, in my own words, is really this. It's often, it's this experience that often happens without words. It often happens even without the ability to hear something. It is really a felt thing when you know that another just sees you, just acknowledges you. And so one of the the ways we get there is is acknowledgement. The most powerful thing I think any organization, any family system needs is to be reminded of how powerful our ability to simply acknowledge each other is. And, you know, you saying, um, being able to acknowledge the person that's just trying to make a living today in Mm. the square, when you acknowledge the kid with the hoodie up and the hair down in the train station, when you just say, Hey, nice hoodie. When somebody genuinely comes up to you, particularly a stranger, you know, and says to you, um, Oh my gosh, you have the kindest smile. Mm. I just thought you should know. Or for those of us children, um, when somebody genuinely acknowledges us, not says things like, okay, your kid is a real bully, or I'm really concerned about this, or this is a problem, but they just take the time out of their day. I say this to teachers all the time, take the time out of their day to call and say, I just need to tell you, uh, your kid's amazing. We have a, hockey's a big sport up here in Canada. And my, our 13 year old has quit his hockey uh, team for many, many reasons. And one of the, mostly because he sucks at the game and he hates it. But anyway, um, he, one of the kids on the team who has this notorious reputation of being a bully and, you know, got in trouble so many times last year was the only kid the day, the day later in school that came up to him and said, Hey, Asher, I'm just checking on you. Are you okay? I'm sad that you quit the team. And so he came home and told me that. And I said, are you kidding me? This kid said that to you? That's my, so I found his mom's number on our website page for the team. And so I called her and I left a message and I said, Hey, Jill, this is Jody calling. Can you just give me a, a call back? And of course, 20 seconds later, she calls back with a hello. I said, Hey, I'm just calling about your kid. Um, and she's like, uh-huh. What? I said, I just wanted to, yeah, exactly. I just wanted to let you know that I think he's amazing. 
Uh, the decision for Asher to step away from the team this year was so hard on our family because we don't quit anything. But this was, I think, important for his mental health and ours. And it really had nothing to do with the kids on the team. But your boy today made his day. He was brave enough to come up and say that he's going to miss him. And I just wanted to tell you, I think he's amazing. And whatever you're doing, mom, you're doing something right. And there was a long pause because she was trying not to cry. Wow. And she said, you don't know how much I needed to hear that. Thank you. Wow, that's beautiful. And, and, can I, and I said to her, can you, can you make sure you tell him that? She's like, oh, I will. The second he goes through the door, I will be telling him that he did a good thing today. And, you know, I think just these days we are so disconnected and so inundated with all the ways the world is falling apart. The, the mental health crisis, the loneliness epidemic, uh, the wars that are unfolding around us to, to, to mammoth proportions. What we forget sometimes is the necessity to lean into each other because we were never meant to do any of this alone. Mm, definitely. I actually underlined something at the beginning of your book that um, reminded me of situations that I've been in recently like in, in, in my personal life. Um, you wrote something like, um, most every issue every, anyone has carried into my office has something to do with the often huge disconnect between intention and perception. I thought that was really interesting because I've had some misunderstandings with someone who, um, you know, some, some of my actions had a negative impact, but I'm kind of focusing on, but my intention was good. And, and it's just this huge disconnect. And I thought it was like, you know, just thinking about us and I was thinking, wow, it's actually a big thing. It's not just me. Oh my gosh. If I think about, so one of my favorite things to do is marital therapy. Okay. Because mm -hmm. it's, I mean, it's exciting for me. I'd like to get popcorn and just watch it unfold because generally what's happening is there is a dance in relationship that is, it's amazing to me that anybody is successful at it because it's so mm -hmm. tricky. We intend always to be kind. We intend often to try to fix somebody else's pain or problem. Mm -hmm. And often it is the, in the perception that our intention gets lost. And so we tend to be so much better at the beginning of relationships about truly doing that thing of acknowledgement, slowing down long enough of seeing another, really truly trying to understand it and get it right before we offer suggestions or advice. The more you mean to me in an intimate relationship, in a friendship, I don't want you to hurt. So I want to fix it. I want to come up with, okay, stop it. You're being, okay, you know what? You're fine. Relax. Don't be so negative. You're okay. Why don't you take, go for a run. Mm -hmm. And our intention is, in, is to get them back to a good place, to not let them, you know, be hurting or okay, or to offer advice. We tend to be better at this, you know, generally speaking with other people's children. We tend to be better at this on our second date. We tend to be better at this in our honeymoon phase of friendship, right? Because generally speaking on a second date, if you've ever went on a second date, you're like, you're, you're trying to engage in an understanding of somebody. So you're like, huh, tell me more. Oh my God, that's amazing. I think about my personal husband. We've been married for 15 years. We have three kids on the ground together. He's got a PhD in how to feed cows, beef cattle. Okay. This is a thing here in Canada. You get a PhD in how to feed cows. He's judged cattle all over the world. Huh? And I was so impressed on our second date. Oh my God, you're amazing. Oh, you know how to, you got a PhD in this. Oh my gosh, tell me more. And he would say things like, you know, I've had a couple of bloats in this yard. I'm really worried about, you know, agriculture as a whole. Can I ever make an impact? Now, 15 years later, we got three kids on the ground. He comes through the door, says exactly the same thing, almost. Okay. I'm so, you know, I'm worried about this, this farmer. I'm worried about these bloats. Like, is agriculture ever going to change? Can I ever have an impact? I, you know, it's so terrible. Oh, and me now, oh my, 
You're so negative. Is there any, you think you've had a hard day? I've single-handedly changed the mental health of children in central Alberta. I've got puke in my bra because we had twins. Thank you for that, which we weren't planning for. I have my pants are too tight because I had the kids. And stop complaining. We lose our ability to regulate emotion because here's the interesting thing. If he's not okay, I'm not okay. Mm. If your friend's not okay, you're not okay. In the beginning of your relationship, you don't really give a shit. You don't have a whole lot in the game. You don't have a whole lot invested. So you're like, tell me more. What's the hard part? All these things. Yeah. But at some point when it gets a little bit more invested, when we get longer in relationships. So the dance of just slowing down and understanding. I'm so sorry. My intention was to be kind. My intention was to help, and I I don't think that's how it landed. I, th- I, I that wasn't my you know I I need you. I miss you. There's so much about this relationship that I love, and those words sometimes are rarely spoken when people are like, you know what, that was unkind of you, or um, that's not how I took it, or what did you mean by that? Like, thanks for nothing. After all, I've given you. We tend to miss those moments of just slowing it down. Hey. Yeah, I think for me, um, something that kind of like jumped out of the pages as well as when you mentioned that if you if you use the word but, it's not an apology. Because I've used the words but when I've been explaining that my intention was good. And I was like, oh, well, how do I get around this? Because for me, I think it's maybe a pride thing because I always, I, I kind of know when I'm not doing something entirely correct. <laughs> I have that awareness. But um, I, I think mostly for like 99% of the time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming out from a good place and a good intention. That doesn't always mean that way. But if someone's had a bad, you know, experience with me for whatever reason, I I've immediately go to, oh, but my intention was good because I just don't want anyone to think that I was doing something in a spiteful way. So this is the word but comes in there and it kind of annoys the other person. So it's kind of hard to. Yeah. It erases the apology. Mm. Harriet Lerner is a psychologist who I, you know, she's got some beautiful books out there and she um, has one of her most recent books, recent books is how to apologize. And so I bought it for my husband. Uh, (laughs) He didn't need it then. (laughs) (laughs) But I think the biggest takeaway for me is just really that like our intention when we apologize, one of the most powerful words, in fact, okay, I'll back it up a little bit. One of the biggest predictors of couples who make it and couples that don't. John Gottman and his wife, Julie, have created uh, an institute around data that would, you know, look at for 45 years, they have studied marriage. And they say that the one difference, if they were to distill it to one thing, the difference between couples that make it and couples that don't isn't how much sex you have, isn't how much money you make, how much alike or different you are. One thing, your ability to repair. Mm. is the greatest predictor because any relationships that matter to you will have conflict. If they don't matter to you, if you haven't spent a lot of time with them, there's no development of uh, the necessity to sort of create that dance of conflict. And so your ability to repair becomes important. And two most powerful words in repairing anything is I'm sorry. Mm. Now we will always, I mean, I can physically feel it. If we, my husband and I just had a knockdown shoot him and I, I really disagree with the way that he's handled our kids or a conversation in our community, I'll be like, I just lose my mind. So when I come back, I'll say, honey, I'm sorry. I really am sorry about yelling and losing my mind. I can physically feel the word, but crawling up my larynx, ready to be shooting out of my lips, because I also now want to teach him But if you wouldn't have started this process, if you would have just, uh, 
we intend to sort of want to, you're very right in this process, not take full responsibility for this, because typically it isn't our full responsibility. But if we want to engage, if we want to soften another, if we want to regulate their emotion, one of the most powerful ways to do that is to simply acknowledge our role in it. I'm sorry for. Mm. And to be very careful in not having a but after that. And sometimes it's hard because then they'll say things like, well, it's about time. Mm -hmm. You should (laughs) have, you know, and you're like, oh, but what often happens later, if we can hold that beat, if we can just take that down a notch, if there truly is a relationship there worth working on, they too will come back to the plate. Mm. Speaking of relationships, I loved your definition, this definition of love in the book, which was we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known. And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering with trust, respect, kindness, and affection. I thought that was really beautiful. And then Mm. I think it was the chapter after, uh, I can't remember exactly the order, but it made me think about, you talked about the state of affairs and and when people, you know, enter into this monotony and how it can be, we're very fragile and vulnerable at that time to be seen by someone else so how, what is the difference between feeling seen and how much is real love? Because I think sometimes feeling seen can be a, a big seduction <laughs> tactic, you know? Ah, so isn't how that much is real? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think feeling seen is the first stage in any true love, mm-hmm. okay? But it is the thing that is the most addictive. Mm-hmm. So we truly want to be admired by another. We truly want to be understood deeply. Mm-hmm. I mean all of us just want people to be excited about the things that are excited about, you know, that that our soul has learned about this world. And the interesting thing for me, and I've had lots of conversations about this lately, is that I think one of the things that we will witness as uh, in the next generations is that we will see um, an absence in the depth of relationship because the breadth of relationship is so easy. It's so easy to jump from one to the next and get that very deep sense, that instant gratification of, oh my God, you're amazing. You're so beautiful. Let's spend time together. Um, What we will start to miss though, desperately, I think, is the depth of relationships. And that when those are needed most is in our most significant time of pain. When we get the news, when we hear that our baby is injured, when we understand that our father is dying. It is the depth of relationship that we want to depend on. It's usually somebody who knows us and those who've weathered the storm. So for example, you know, when I watch, you know, couples who've been married for 20 years and then engage, you know, they they end up having an affair or somebody has an affair and they get into a new relationship. It's exciting and new. And within the first six months, you know, mom dies of cancer or their child is killed in a car accident. That breadth of relationship does not serve the soul to the degree that it is needed to be held, which is usually only known by somebody who knows you deeply, your story, right? That is often there without words or without uh, a lustful exchange. And sometimes you can engage in that relationship well, but oftentimes it is really the the depth of relationships that I'm really interested to see um, how people are able to navigate. And One of the prerequisites to being able to go deeply into a relationship with somebody is um, your own ability to regulate emotion, your own ability to stay calm in times of distress. Somebody has to show you how to do that. Mm. Emotional regulation is a privilege. 
because the people who've come before you have had to have the ability to stay calm in times of distress in order for you to be able to give it away. So if we see people who, you know, have been marginalized in our world, those who, you know, fall outside of the privileged, those who are most privileged tend to be white, straight, able-bodied men with money. And anybody outside of those things, when you start to check the boxes outside of those things, right? When you don't have access to financial resources, when you don't have access to, um, you know, emotionally regulated people, when you don't have access to, you know, when you've experienced racism, marginalization in any capacity, you tend to be a more dysregulated human because you do not have those around you. You, you have to be in fight or flight more often than those of us in this position of privilege. You see, so it makes it very difficult to lean into relationships and trust people because some of our biggest traumas will happen at the hands of people. Our ability to heal also must happen at the hands of people, the very entities that many of us don't trust. So it becomes such a beautiful dance in this human race because we are way more alike than we are different. We all started in exactly the same place. We all heard this first, the heartbeats of our mom. Bum, 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 bum. the rhythmic exchange. And when our most biggest times of distress, what we don't need is words. We need the physical presence of another human being to do this. Okay, okay, okay. Mm. And DNA, race is a social construct. DNA in this human race across in your country, in mine, in any other country around the world is 99.98% the same. Mm. We all desperately just want to feel seen, regardless of age, race, religion, socioeconomic status, or gender identity. We just desperately want to feel seen. And it is our greatest superpower. The more you give it away to another human being, the healthier you will become. Yeah, I think it's interesting this, um, you know, these two opposing um, sensate or um, emotions like vulnerability and power, which is kind of interesting because they're both, you need someone to cheer you on when you're doing really well and you need someone who's going to be there when you're vulnerable so I think it's hard for people to be vulnerable sometimes and that's because it feels like you're giving your power away but then there's also this tendency let's say on social media of people being vulnerable just to get likes so we've got this kind of like conflicting uh, right now you know, and, and, and vulnerability that word itself is so confusing to many I mean I what's your thought about you know in the book I talked about this the most vulnerable emotion is joy mm. What's your thoughts about that? You know, because oftentimes when people talk about emotions, they say, oh my God, I'm most vulnerable when I'm sad, when I'm in shame, when I'm feeling fear. But in fact, it you're most vulnerable when you are engaging in unbridled joy, right? Yeah. Belly laughing with your babies, dancing in your, with your kitchen. Tell me what your thoughts are about that. Well, I think um, I've had lots of ups and downs in my life. And I think sometimes it's easier to connect with others when we are in a bad place because people tend to have more empathy. But when you're doing well, not many people are around to cheer you on. And that, that's a, kind of a sad thing because I've had a few friends kind of I've lost along the way. Uh, I lost one friend this year after a 20-year friendship because I was doing really well and I've been in one of the happiest places of my life right now. And um, she wanted she wanted me to be her therapist almost. It was like a very one-sided thing. And, yeah. and I just thought, well, who's around when you're, you know, you're doing really well? Um, you know, so so I've just found that um, they say a friend in need is a friend indeed, but it's actually the ones who are cheering you on when you're doing well and who are not envious of you. That's the those are the 
people you want in your life. You know? I, I, I feel like we don't talk about this enough and I'm so grateful that you, you know, you're having this conversation because I think one of the surprises, the thing that surprised me the most in this evolution, you know, into success for my own company and, you know, speaking, writing books, doing all these things um, is how many people you lose along the way. And I think in sort of a very spiritual way of understanding this, if our souls are going to continue to grow and to understand why we're here, I think that, you know, one of the things that I always come back to is the words of Ram Das: We are all just here walking each other home. Yeah, I remember that in the book. Yeah. And. And if you, you, we will play those seasons for this particular friend as they did for you. And if I'm going to continue, you know, fulfilling my greatest purpose, which is to be, I think, uh, a walker, then maybe my purpose was served with her or hers was served for me. And to be able to just release that and allow that to happen doesn't mean that either of us messed it up. It just is. And when you're on this evolutionary journey of your soul to be able to sort of contribute to the world, um, share your thoughts on this podcast, meet people in all different parts of the world, then you need to surround yourself with people who promote that and yeah. wish well for the people that don't. She she will be in her own journey doing those own walkings in those people mm -hmm. that need it where she is. And that is the hardest part not to take personally, I think. Oh, I think I've definitely kind of learned that and, and uh, you know, I've just been, I have to honor myself so much because as the, you know, if you don't, then you're just going to be playing all oh, in life. And I love this about your book as well, about your personal journey, because you talk about, um, you know, about someone telling you you shouldn't swear in public speaking. And you're like, I want to be authentic. And then you're saying about the, the business, uh, setting up a business, like you said, watch me. And is this this through a couple of lines, I can't remember where it was exactly, but you've kind of done so many things with your own um, self-confidence and, conviction and uh so can tell us about that yeah I, I mean here's the interesting thing for me and I'll be so honest about this uh the the line between confidence and self-loathing people think it's very long okay people think like the most confidence among a uh, confident among us are obviously on this you know path where they've like worked so hard or they've got so, so lucky and then those that are in this place of self-loathing are way down here like they think we're pieces of shit or we don't care like do you know, I straddle that line as does everybody every single day. I go into this place of, I got it. I'm so good. Watch me to like, oh my God, I'm so fat and terrible. Who do I think I am hosting my own podcast, writing a book? Everybody's, you swear too much. Oh my gosh, you're right. I should have that. We assume that it is you arrive at this place of confidence. And I have to tell you, I think there's a few rules along the way that really promote you staying in that place of emotional regulation, of really questioning, am I where I need to be? Can I step into this world with confidence? And I think it really is about paying attention to who you surround yourself with. Mm -hmm. Because we get constantly inundated in social media about how we're not enough right? We've mm. never had this much access to data. We're the first generation of people. We didn't grow up with it. I mean, I was in university. I didn't have a, a computer. And now before I get out of bed every morning, I'm scrolling other people's lives, always telling a story in my head about, oh my God, I need to drink more collagen. Holy shit. Look at her. She's working out. Oh my God. I'm mm. oh my, oh my, I never thought I'd look like this at 50. My poor kids. I'm embarrassed. I'm sorry. And why did I marry you? 
oh, I could have done so much better. And then we, before we even get out of bed, our shoulders are up like this, our cortisol mm -hmm. is increased. And then we go into the world trying to navigate other people's stories. And we take very little opportunity to just settle back into our own bodies, reflect on the places that we've been and what we do. And really, what, what is our purpose here? We're just walking each other home. And I think the more you can incorporate that grounding practice in this world that is so noisy, you have so much more access to what you know to be true. I am a good human. My intentions were pure. How do I repair when other people perceive them not to be? Who's worthy of the repair? Who are the times where I have to say, you know what? I mean, I always operate by these rules these days, and sometimes they're, they're serving well, sometimes they are. Be kind and don't tolerate bullshit in that order. Mm -hmm. Giving other people the benefit of the doubt is so hard because the ones who need it the most are the hardest to give it to. Right. But assuming kindness, leading with it's such a currency these days that people really have a hard time giving away. But it also doesn't mean that everybody walks over you. It also doesn't mean that you're just loving on everybody and you're forgiving everybody. <laughs> Two very important distinctions, particularly as women, because for women, this is the first generation, uh, I think, ever where our role has been so unclear. Two generations ago, if you were born with a vagina, you knew exactly your job. Okay. You might've had big hopes and dreams and ideals and all those things. But if I, even I look at my mother, you know, she was one of the smartest businesswomen I've ever met, but she, she was so cute, right? Her job was to raise the babies. She knew that that was number one. Her job was to make a good home. She knew that was very clear. And if you wanted to have a, like a little company on the side, that'd be so sweet, you know, dad will buy it for you and you can manage it. Mm -hmm. Now, one generation later, I'm the primary breadwinner in our family. Having, watching my husband navigate that, watching his mom navigate that, watching us as a couple. He's like, well, this is, you know, our company. And I, no, it's fucking not. It's <laughs> mine. Right. And he said, well, what, what is that supposed to be when I would, okay, just a second. What we're working towards is for our family. I am a primary contributor of that. What I built has nothing to do with you. I'm, I wrote the books. I speak on the stages. You assisting in building our family life, raising our babies, us coming home together, talking about our hopes and our dreams. That's us. Us saving for our future. That's us. This company that we're going to create for our children. That's us. But you need to understand the importance of giving me the recognition that I did this. For years, for generations, men have been like, you did this, you were, you started the farm, you raised the company, you did the thing. Good. Yeah. Because you're competent and you did that. You did that too. You were, for the, you got a PhD. You're Dr. Aaron Grant. You accomplished all of those things. None of that I did. And I'm so proud of you as a result of that. Right. I, I'm going to come to your functions, be very proud of you. You made this amount of money. Yes. Amen. That's great. How does that help our family? What are we going to do with it? I too competently put this together. Right? This isn't ours, respectively, not because I don't want us to enjoy it, not because I'm cutting and running and just storming off. This narrative has to change because so much of the narrative that I think we we hold um, in terms of this whole feminist idea is that women tend to oppress each other often as much as the world oppresses us. Because, you know, my mother-in-law, God bless her, is one of the most remarkable humans I had ever met. And she struggled with the fact that I worked a lot outside of the home, right? You had three babies. What, where's your focus? My, I, I appreciate it, Laura. My, my focus is on showing our children how women need a seat at the table.
how more now than ever, an emotional language is what is going to save companies and save lives. And I have that. Well, what's going to happen when the kids get sick? Who's going to help them? Um, Your son, my husband, he knows how to run Tylenol. Right? Mm-hmm. He also understands that if I'm needed to be here when we navigate them through hard things, then together we do that. I'm still coaching the hockey game, the hockey team. I'm just here half the time. Right. Mm-hmm. He's he's very involved. He's tucking the kids in at night. That never happened. Do you understand? So the the navigating of roles, we are warriors in this generation because those of us, I mean, still equivocally speaking, we make as women in, in uh, gender parity roles or roles that are exactly the same, we make 73 to 77 cents on every dollar that a man will make. And if we will increase at this rate of gender parity in the workplace, it won't happen for another 237 years. Mm-hmm. So there is this sense that we bring something very important to the table, which is an emotional language, which is an ability to identify emotion relationship, get people back to that vulnerability place, which will make companies more successful today now than ever, rather than building the physical infrastructure of policies and procedures, a language men have spoke for years. And I often say, you know, I have two sons and a a remarkable husband. This isn't about penises and vaginas. This is about women really stepping into the fact that what we bring to the table has never been this important because the highest rate of suicide in North America, and I'm not sure about Europe, but in North America is middle-aged men. Yeah. Emotions will not kill you, but not Mm. talking about the might. Women have that skill. Definitely, definitely. And speaking of skills and um, your your stage life, um, can you give me some tips on public speaking? I'm just, um, I've been public speaking professionally this year, and I'm going to Toastmasters in about an hour to give a speech about my professional speaking and I haven't even rehearsed it <laughs> no I'm, I'm just about to join an agency because I'm, I'm going to change the world one orgasm at a time this is really my mission so um what tips can you can you give me oh my gosh I love it okay so I speak um uh, I've been doing this for probably six or seven years now um I, as a clinical psychologist I took um my expertise my knowledge my experience and sort of put it into what I think people need to know the most um, I haven't spoken in Spain or Europe yet, so let's maybe see. We'll get on the stage together, okay? Oh wow! We'll go there. We'll do that. How does that feel? Amazing. And then I know I would love to be in Europe. And here's the number one thing: you have so much to offer to the world, and when you feel it in your bones, your audience will too. We often feel so caught up in like, are we going to give them the deliverables? How are we going to say it? And oftentimes, you know, it's good to practice those things, to Mm. feel what it looks like in a mirror. I still, honing this craft will be a lifelong game. And I think we often want to have it perfectly, but I try on new material, new jokes. I'm really funny. And so I, uh, if I do say so, so, and what happens is if you're going to deliver a message and material, you want your audience to experience, sort of come on that journey with you. And so I really love to storytell and incorporate that emotional feeling. If you can make your audience um, feel your stories and your passion and your hardest moments and your biggest wins, um, they want more of it. Yeah. So you, if you make them feel seen by sitting in your audience, they're like leaning into you. And Everything's that's feeling seen. Everything's yeah. feeling seen. <laughs> right? That's why we called it. The- and so it's like that we're so desperate for 
for it, you know, the bar is so low. And so I would just tell you right now in this season, it is so easy to be a successful speaker. If you throw out all of the what you should be doing and really just connect with your audience and give them a message that changed your life and your intention is to help them be better and do better and they'll take it if they need it. Amazing. I'll see how I do tonight. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, because I've been, uh, you know, Toastmasters is like very... Um, yeah in the box but my my topic of female sexuality is very personal so it's something that's heartfelt so you can't do it with all these kind of um all these theatrics that they do rules yes exactly <laughs> so, so, and I, I, so I don't actually prepare I just go on stage and I want to feel comfortable that's kind of my challenge you know yeah and you're mm. talking about a very uncomfortable topic mm. so being able to do that in and of itself I mean I have to speak about trauma and relationships mm. and divorce and organizations how they're messing their people up and so how you do that often is you know when you're comfortable with it mm. and you can speak about it in a way that you know will change lives if they just know about it let's talk about it I mean it is such a taboo subject that everybody has a story behind closed doors what happens in the bedroom how we feel really unseen so often and do we ask for what we need what does that look like oh my god my mother said don't you ever speak about that keep your legs crossed till the lights <laughs> nice are off girls don't do that <laughs> especially when your cat like and what I think is really critical, right, is that how do we sort of start to rewrite that script mm -hmm. and give people permission to rewrite that script? And I think that's all you want your audience to leave with is knowing a little bit more about that. And like, you know it, you know it in your bones. You've experienced it. You believe it. And it's your story. And so tell it. Uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, I don't know if you know Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, She's yeah, definitely. Love. Okay. Yeah. So I, when I spoke with her, um, she, she is as life-changing in person as she appears to be, if you, if you have not met her yet. Um, and she just said, the world needs your story. Get on stage. I love how this book kind of ends in that way without, without giving away a spoiler, but I love that. It's like, yes. So, I really yeah. love that. um, so a couple of quick questions for you as I'm such a bookworm, I have, um, on my episodes, I have a book review every episode because I love books so much. Um, so what is the book that changed your life? The there's two um, without a doubt. Dare to lead by Brene Brown. I um, I I love everything about that woman, and she's really sort of taught me the most about. Uh, she's an American um, uh, author, um, has written a lot about vulnerability, mm. and so that single handedly. And then the other one, this is kind of just off the side of my desk that I just well, there's more I could tell you more, but Tuesdays with Maury by a sports writer called Mitch Album. And he has a line in that book that changed the way I think about the world. He said, death ends a life, not a relationship. And you have and, that in your book as well, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so when I think about, you know, the people who come before me and doing well by my ancestors and what my why is, uh, you know, in the loneliness of losing friendships or on a stage all by yourself, um, I often feel like the importance of, you know, why we're here. And uh, I love that book. I also recently, you know, as we get into the new year, I, I often um, revisit James Clear's Atomic Habits. Um, and I think that, you know, there's so many books that when I need inspiration, I don't write, I read. Oh, cool. When I want to change the way that I think about things, I, I take other people's idea because there's so much brilliance in this world that often is very distilled down to not very many things, right? You know, just center yourself, get to the core of yourself. So many answers are right there. And then just be kind for fuck's sake. That's all we need. So when you find those two 
things, it often comes back to the most profound works of all time Mm -hmm. is get grounded in your own body, your own soul, your own spirituality, understand your story well enough to be able to deliver it back to the people. So, so in your world, whoever they may be, because they're, they're just looking for that too. Amazing. What about um, a quote or philosophy or affirmation that you live by? Um, I would say, I mean, we've talked about it already because it's always up, but it's over my shoulder. We're all just walking each other home mm-hmm. is probably the thing that matters the most to me. And then as a, as a businesswoman, I got to tell you, I just I have this because I think about it all the time. So I'll read it to you. It said, leaders must either invest a reasonable amount of time attending to fears and feelings or squander an unreasonable amount of time trying to manage ineffective and unproductive behavior. When we are trying to build teams or family systems, investing a lot of time in people's feelings and fears is one of our biggest superpowers. And the way you can do that most easily is when the people around you are distressed or they say, yes, but all the time you say these three words, tell me more. And in fact, Kelly Corrigan wrote a book called Tell Me More. It's another great read if you want to add that to your shelf. She's phenomenal because it really is about how do we collect other people first before we try to fix them or give them an answer, which is often what we want to do. We want to help. We want to say, like, try this, try this, try this. And we miss that very beautiful stage of acknowledgement. Nice. So where can people find you? Well... DrJodyCarrington.com is the website and that just links to everything we do on social media. We have a little private community called Everyone where I try to create a safe space off of social media and there's lots of resources there for um, I got courses on um, trauma and how to deal with your kids these days. So anywhere, anywhere, I would love your community to jump into ours uh, because we are doing so many of the same things and I just, I admire your work so much. So I'm so honored to be able to sit with you tonight. Oh, me too. It's been a real pleasure. So Jodie Carrington, thank you for joining the Orgasmic Lifestyle podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, me too. Take care. The book I'm reading now is Live, Laugh, Find True Love, a step-by-step guide to finding a meaningful relationship by Sarah A. Intelligator. And she is a divorce attorney, relationship expert, and now author. I devoured this book. I think I read it in about two and a half days. It was so well written and written in a way that was kind of simple, but eloquent at the same time. It drew me in. In the first session or sitting, I got to page 50 and I was just, oh my God, it was the perfect book to read after Feeling Seen. Because in Feeling Seen, I was very impacted by the chapters on love, relationships, infidelity. And this was kind of like a good continuation of it to really understand what goes wrong in relationships. I think it's a unique idea, very original idea, that someone who is an expert has seen so many divorces happen um, to actually see how these could potentially be prevented. And it's just by choosing the right partner. And she emphasizes um, fundamental values Um, which is a very key part. And this is basically, if you don't have fundamental values, then you can kind of predict where things are going to go wrong. And some of those fundamental values might um, be related to spirituality, frugality, which is very important. I know lots of couples who argue about money. Money is one of the biggest things that people um, discuss or or, or just don't agree on. Uh, That can really cause a lot of tension, not just lack of it, but also having different philosophies according to how you're going to spend it. I remember I was living with a guy years ago 
and we had very different philosophies on, on them. I was very frugal and he would spend all of his uh, salary in the first couple of weeks and the rest of the month he would be um, asking his his family for money and then, then he would just pay them all back the first week. I'd like that that couple of days of getting paid and feeling rich and then the rest is just kind of scrimping and saving. Whereas I was kind of more um, more sensible, a lot more frugal and that just caused a lot of tension with us. Like personally, I couldn't imagine um, having like a shared bank account, a joint bank account with anyone. But what's interesting in this book is that um, she talks about teamwork and if you have it, all your assets separate, you're not thinking like a team. However, I do wonder, isn't that just a better way to kind of... Um, you know, thinking about if you do get divorced, it's just kind of less messy, surely. I'm going to ask her that question when I interview her next week, which is I'm very intrigued about that, about, you know, joint assets and the messiness that's involved in separating those assets. Because at the end of the day, I think that if you have all these fundamental values aligned, there's still there's still things can happen because we are evolving constantly. We're, we're constantly changing in our lives. And it's about finding someone who is on a path that's always going to be compatible with yours because that's very difficult to to assess. But she does um, go into, you know, um, trying to identify which of the values which are, that are going to accompany you throughout life. For example, if you're into traveling in your 20s, you might not be in your 30s or 40s if you want to um, start a family because that might not be compatible. So that's a value that might take a back burner for, a, for some time. But it's about identifying these things that are going to be present throughout your life. Another area of um, that can be of conflict, potential conflict, would be spirituality and religion. For example, when you have children, you might want to put them in a certain type of school and um, your partner might not agree. And also family, which I thought was very interesting. Not just the family you create with someone, but someone how they re- relate to their own family. For example, if you're very close to your family and the other person isn't, it might be a reminder of what they don't have and, you know, um, it might bring up a lot of wounds for them. So, it's very, it's a very um, eye-opening book and it just, um, um, it was just, I found it was very um, instructive. And also she talks about dating like a job interview, which is something that I find really interesting. Um, and also trying to not be led by those feelings of that those, the chemical reaction that's happening within us when we meet someone. At the same time, um, I do think that, you know, feeling love and genuine desire for someone is, is something that doesn't come along that easily. So I think it's very um, it's very natural for us, maybe not the right thing, but to be swept away by these deep emotions that can happen. And, and, we, and that gives us a scarcity mindset thinking, there's not much of this, I have to grab onto it right now. And if I don't do it now, it's not going to come along for a, a long time. And that's something that I, th- I think is a very human reaction. Because I know that when you fall in love with someone it, um, and then let's say it ends in heartbreak, it does take you a while to get back into a space where you you can hold space for someone new. And that's something that is quite hard. And um, so, yes, I think the questions about um, going on a date and really kind of um, assessing the compatibility before opening the doors of intimacy is an interesting perspective. Um, but I think we are human and sometimes we are led by our hearts and our bodies. Um, but it's important to distinguish and discern what the difference is between compatibility and chemistry, which is very, very, very insightful. And and yeah, so I think it's a very, and she gives a lot of examples as well. She really, um, it's a very clear book and um, she illustrates very clearly what these these F words are, which are, that uh, she calls fail factors and they are fundamental values, fear, foundation. For example, it's very important to have a very 
um, solid foundation in a relationship and fixing, we should not be trying to fix someone, fairy tale and family. And yes, it's all about self-reflection and dating as a job interview and um, parenting, which is very interesting as well. And then she gives lots of examples of different couples about how they started and where they ended. And you can kind of see when from her storytelling that what's going to go wrong, because you can see, because um, she's very illustrated very clearly what these fundamental values are. So you can um, already tell what the potential incompatibilities and areas of conflict are going to be. Um, so I guess she's seen it over and over again. And it, what's really sad about um, divorce is, you know, you can be so in love with someone and have all these plans and then you, that person can become your biggest enemy where you're communicating through lawyers, at, um, you know, sending awful emails, threatening, and then you're spending all of your savings that was for your college, the college fund for your children on a divorce. And that's something that's very, very, it's very sad, uh, a sad reality. I remember when I was a child, I had lots of, um, so I had some friends who um, had divorced parents. It was very, and there's no really divorce in my family, but Irish Catholic family was kind of like illegal, I think, when I was a kid. Um, but I, I just seen the sadness of um, of what that, uh, the impact of that on, on my friends was, um, you know, having to go from dad's house to mum's house all the time, having to learn two telephone numbers back in the day before mobiles, when you were calling a house rather than a person. I remember knowing many different phone numbers off by heart, but for my friends from divorced families, I had to learn two numbers. And then um, the tension of um, their parents not being able to have a civil conversation and co-parent in a in a civil way. It was all um, through um, letters from lawyers and stuff. And that, that caused a lot of tension among my friends. However, I have seen examples where it has been more um, civilized and um, people have, you know, still there still might be some pain. But now as an adult, my I have more empathy now from the from the parent perspective, and I can I can see that it uh, at first I've seen a lot of suffering with my friends who have gone into this family bubble, and sometimes they feel I think there's some kind of smugness sometimes among my married friends with families, and they seem to be uncontactable when they're having their family weekends, and then suddenly <clears throat> the bubble is burst, and they are going through a divorce. And they cannot handle um, the being alone, the the silent house. That's something that, um, you know, because you're used to having, you know, the, the noise of children playing and um, your partner, TV on. And then suddenly half of the time you're in a house in silence and that can be very difficult to deal with. So I think sometimes when you're, you know, in a family and you're having all these other things to do, you don't take the time to just be with yourself and see yourself. That's what I've seen from my from my friends but once you get over that, I have, I have friends who are having an incredible life. They have, you know, half of their time with their children and the other half, they're really rediscovering themselves as an individual. And that seems to be a great thing to experience as well. But I can't, um, I can imagine that, you know, having a child and then only getting to a point where you only see them half the time could be potentially quite difficult. And I don't even have children, but I can kind of definitely empathize with with that. And um, yeah, it's not, it's not an ideal situation at all, but at the end of the day, we are human. It's best to, you know, separate from something if it's really making you unhappy. That's definitely the best thing. But of course, as um, Sarah Intelligator says, it's best to just marry the right person. And um, and this, this book will definitely um, help you on that way. I think it's an excellent book. I, it was so gripping and it's really made me think a lot. And um, I, I think it's really cool that she's kind of made this book to try and, you know, um, prevent people from coming to her office, which is a, a very noble intention. 
So that is the Live, Lie, Live, Laugh, Find True Love, a step-by-step guide to finding meaningful relation, a meaningful relationship by Sarah A. Intelligator, a future guest or here on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy.
Are you looking for a new sex toy? If you are, go to satisfier.com and you can use the code VENUS to get 30% off anything on the satisfier.com website. So check it out, VENUS for 30% off, satisfier.com. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening, have an orgasmic week, and make sure every day is a climax.